In a world ruled by emotion, where reason is abandoned, God is forsaken, and history forgotten, two brave men will attempt to do the unthinkable. Use their brains. Armed with ancient wisdom, they will bring light into our modern world. This is the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and I'm joined in this lovely studio by my co-host, Evan. How's it going? Today, our topic is mob mentality. Let me note that by mob, we don't mean organized crime. We mean a group of people acting rashly with violent intentions. So here's what we're going to cover on today's episode. First, what is a mob? What are its characteristics? Then we'll go into the psychology of mobs. Why do humans gang up? How does it differ from regular democracy? Talking about mob rule there. Are mobs ever justified? Then we'll give you a brief history of mobs and give you some American examples while we're at it. Then we'll dive into modern day herd mentalities and talk a little bit about cancel culture. Then we'll ask, have we ever been swept up in a mob? And we'll talk about our personal stories and we'll wrap it up with our final opinions on mob mentalities. All right, so starting out with what events are inspired by mob mentality? What are its characteristics? A mob can be defined as a large group of people, especially one that is disorderly and intent on causing trouble or violence. Here are some characteristics that define a mob. They're a large gathering of people acting as a unit, almost as a single organism, usually with a common goal or intent. The group identifies outsiders and excludes them from the mob, usually by shouting them down or using physical violence to prevent them from interfering with the mob's actions. It's a strong us-versus-them mentality. If you're not with us, you're against us. The mob directs its actions or speech at a specific person, external group, or location. The group shows disregard for social norms. They are louder than normal, more violent than normal, they disregard property, they disregard public safety, and often they outright break the law. Mobs often clash with authorities and do not easily give up when challenged by police. When a mob assumes its ultimate form, as the kids say, it will often become extremely chaotic, even harming innocent bystanders. Violence will escalate unless stopped by some outside force. Rarely will the mob stop even once its goals are accomplished or demands are met. Mobs will often move the goalpost in order to rationalize further mobbish activity. So let's have a quick discussion right here. Can mobs be premeditated? If people come together in order to commit violence in a systematic way, would this qualify as a mob? A clear example is gang violence. Uh, They often form in order to commit violence or break the law in other ways. It's not spontaneous, though turf wars can be, or rumbles, uh, like from the outsiders. So what do you think? I mean, do you think that qualifies as a mob? I don't think so, because I think it has to have that irrational element. What do you think? I think spontaneity is definitely part of it. Uh, When you're talking about mob mentality, people getting swept up in a mob, uh, it's all emotionally charged and everyone's kind of on edge and things quickly escalate. And that's not really what happens when you're talking about like the mafia or gang violence. Usually that stuff is very premeditated. And even though they are operating outside the law, which is something that a mob also does, you know, like a, a a mob that's spontaneous. Uh, it's not quite the same thing. So I would say that doesn't quite count. And I, it's interesting that they have the same word. I mean, you can use that word to describe a gang or just a group of people who come together at a protest, let's say, and just let loose. That's true. Now, 
I would say that mobs can be initiated by leaders. They can be planned by a few people, but I think most of them have to it has to be kind of spontaneous. Yeah, it has to like be a snowball effect almost. Like you can start it with a few people or a leader and then it just has to gather more people and and gather steam. It's like inciting a riot is not protected by the First Amendment. That's one example. Sure, sure. Now, an important point to consider here about mobs, they almost always lead individuals to do and say things that they wouldn't otherwise do if they were by themselves or if they were going about their daily lives. But why? Let's turn to psychology for some answers. A quick Google search for mob psychology or mob mentality will quickly land you in a sea of articles whose goal is not to provide objective analysis per se, but rather to convince you that the January 6th riot was the darkest day in American history. The horror. The humanity. Why would the far-right neo-Nazi white supremacist racist terrorist do such a thing? But if you dig a little deeper and wade into the waters of the dark web into uncharted territory, and by that we mean page two of the Google search, you'll find some information that is far less polarizing and uh, more scientific. Here's a helpful quote from an article by Array Behavioral Care. Mob mentality, also called herd mentality, describes how humans adopt behaviors, buy merchandise, and follow trends based on their circle of influence. It explains how one's point of view can easily be altered by those around them. So it's not as if humans remain unaffected by those around them until suddenly they become uh, mindless animals in the midst of a violent crowd. The same psychological and sociological pressures that shape our interactions um, at work, at the dinner table, at your kid's soccer game, and in so many other mundane situations, they also shape our actions in a mob. It's all the same thing. It's all human psychology. Here's more from the article. Humans have a predilection to imitate one another's behavior. We end up professing beliefs and acting out in ways which we would have never otherwise done or considered independently. Psychologists refer to this occurrence as mob mentality. That's why, for instance, it feels natural and even pleasurable to pass along gossip and counterintuitive to stop it. It's the same thing that motivates a person to share an impassioned social media post in a knee-jerk response to societal standards. It's a yield to perceived group pressures by publicly expressing whatever sentiment is in agreement with the norm, end quote. Now, imagine that the norm, as we call it here, is not maintained by your group of friends or your family or your coworkers, but is instead maintained by a sea of people around you, growing more violent by the minute. It's hard enough to go against the people you are friendly with, but what would be the consequences of going against the mob? Food for thought there. Social psychologists have proposed three theories to describe how and why humans gang up. Let's cover them briefly and you can decide which theory makes the most sense. First, there's the contagion theory. Crowds easily become uncontrolled, wild, and frenzied. In this state, they can exert a hypnotic impact that results in unreasonable and emotionally charged behavior among the members. For example, with mob mentality, superstitions can evolve from a misconception or rumor between a small group of people and escalate quickly. Secondly, convergence theory. In this theory, like-minded individuals come together by focusing on a limited number of choices as possibilities, then choosing the correct answer from said choices. Correct in quotations. Another example could be a peaceful protest. Violence doesn't have to be an emergent feature, but is a result if the people wanted it to be and came together in a crowd to make it so. The third theory is the emergent norm theory, uh, also known as the anonymity of uh, the internet theory. 
But this also, I think, applies to other forms of anonymity, but we'll get into that in a minute. In this mentality, a combination of like-minded individuals share anonymity and emotions, which lead to overall group behavior. The anonymity of the internet allows people the freedom of yielding to the mob mentality and those messages exchanged via social media as they are able to let go of the social restraints that would otherwise hinder them in a face-to-face setting. This would help explain why radicals on both the right and the left wing tend to appear more numerous on the internet. Imagine how much a real physical mob would do if they knew they would never suffer any kind of consequences for their actions. Maybe this is why there's so many schizos that comment on our videos of course. And, and our social media. I mean, yeah, and, and schizos commenting all over the internet in general, you know, not just us, but that is a good example. Yeah, they just, they feel unrestrained. You know, they can just go on the internet. It's so easy. Nobody knows who they are. And they just, blah, they just post whatever they want, you know, uh, and that's really what everybody does. And the difference between some normal people and, and the quote unquote schizos is, uh, that they just have a lot stranger things to say. Now, how does this differ from regular democracy? Mob rule can be defined as control of a political situation by those outside the conventional or lawful realm, typically involving violence and intimidation. When the formation of mobs becomes more common and the danger and intimidation they create leads to changes in public policy that appease the mob or mirror their goals, then it can be said that the political system resembles mob rule. But that is not quite the same as democracy, although I will say that there is a derogatory synonym for democracy is just mob rule. Yeah. They're interchangeable, to, especially to ancient thinkers. They, that's why they didn't like democracy. Do you think they, they made those words so similar or they associated those two words so much because they knew that democracy so quickly turns into mob rule? Yeah, they probably thought that the multitude of people would quickly turn into a mob. I agree. In a democratic system, the people get to decide on things like laws, public policy, etc. Or at least they get to decide who their representatives are, and those representatives decide on those things. They make these decisions primarily through voting, a generally peaceful and fair process intended to maintain order. Under a normal democracy, the losers in any given situation don't throw a fit, except if they're Trump supporters in 2020 and 2021. They don't burn everything down unless they're peaceful protesters. And they take their lumps and try harder next time. Dang, taking shots at both sides. I like to. Yeah. I like to just be hated by everybody. There you go. Like the comment section, everybody just hates on me, but it's okay. Hey, that's your your identity. That's your style. You own it. Mad respect. Reference our Let's Go Brandon hot takes episode. Though democracies operate under a majority rules kind of system, there are often limits placed on what issues can be voted on. For example, America was a republic, but is more of a democracy now, still there are certain issues which nobody can put to a vote for now. A body of voters cannot simply vote away your property, your personal autonomy, your speech, your religious beliefs in theory. But as we have seen in the news lately, even these protections are slowly dissolving. We are moving closer to mob rule day by day. Under mob rule, the loudest, the most violent, the most intimidating, most intolerant, and most stubborn party is the one that wins, which forces the more reluctant parties to join in and become more mob-like themselves to avoid being defeated by their political enemies time after time. This is why radicalization is such a hot topic in today's world. Average people are seeing the political success of the mobs and are realizing that the game is changing. If they want to win, they'll have to change with the times, for better or for worse. Spoiler, it's for worse. Let me just point out going back that it is possible for voters to pass a new amendment that says the First Amendment is no longer valid. That's 
very much allowed under sure. the Constitution. As have, I mean, amendments have been changed by amendments after the fact. Well, yeah, uh, prohibition, great example. Yeah. It, are, it was are, an amendment, and then it was repealed by there, another amendment. There are other examples, but yeah, that's one. Just saying. So you can sleep better at night. As we discussed in episode one of this podcast, Anticyclosis, the cycle of governments, available on Apple, Spotify, BitChute, and YouTube. Check it out, because it's a banger in our most watched episode. This is part of a natural cycle of governments which affects all peoples. The republic is gone, democracy is now, and mob rule is becoming more and more of a certainty. So are mobs ever justified? Here's my take on it. The Boston Tea Party was kind of a mob, and so was the Boston Massacre. So many mobs in Boston, who would have thought? I support uh, dumping tea in the harbor and throwing rocks and snowballs at the British. So, yeah, in my opinion, I'd say that they can be justified. I don't think that Boston Tea Party was a mob because it was it was pre-planned by all the people in it. It was more like a strategic attack. Perhaps, but as, as I understand it, a lot of people did join in. Maybe. I don't know. So, okay, we could maybe count that one out if you wanted to, but certainly the Boston Massacre kind of just popped out of nowhere. Yeah, when they were attacking police with with rocks. No comment. (laughs) Anyway, when institutions won't listen and they limit your ability to express yourself, defend yourself from their influence, sometimes that's the only way to keep from being controlled. uh, Regrettable, but necessary. Becoming more necessary now. Hot take. The January 6th riot was a terrible tragedy because they didn't go far enough. (laughs) Oof. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves because we do plan on debating the American Revolution in a future episode. That's right. However, I would say that mobs can sometimes be understandable, but they are hardly ever justified, in my opinion. By its very definition, mobs are not rational entities. They do not plan ahead of time to attain set ends. They just form due to mutual passions and behave animalistically. When man abandons his reason, it is never good. Thus, when revolutions are run by mobs and not philosophers, the result, likewise, is not good. This may be the only reason that most revolutions produce more evil than good and why the American Revolution was one of the few successful ones, and why the French Revolution was such a disaster. You might object and ask about vigilante justice. What if the justice system is corrupt and doesn't serve its function? But I would answer you, what would make a mob a better arbiter of justice than even a corrupt judge? Does a mob possess the logical ability to judge fairly and mete out just desserts? I'd say no. If they judge correctly, it's just a lucky guess. You know, there's the saying about the squirrel and the nut. Uh, The visually impaired squirrel. Mobs never lead to any good, period. Maybe not intentionally. Maybe accidentally they do. Yeah, accidentally. Maybe. Uh, I think that that will come come back around later on in the episode. I, I have some points to make about mobs, and we'll see uh, we'll see if you if you agree with them or not. But for right now, let's go over a brief history of mobs, including some of our favorite mobs. History is full of examples of mob mentality. When the plebs are uneducated and treated harshly, only the threat of punishment will keep them in line. Therefore, when the government is weak, mobs will be more prevalent. An important consideration is that police did not exist, really, until the Industrial Revolution. So if a riot broke out, the ruling class would have to use their soldiers or quickly assembled mercenaries to put it down. That is one reason that legions were deployed throughout the empire when there wasn't an urgent external threat. This was also done so that the nation would be ready for an invasion, of course. Police help maintain order, especially in cities. They apprehend criminals and enforce laws. 
and they're doing more of the law enforcing in the last 50 to 60 years uh, as opposed to peacekeeping. You know, I don't remember who said this or, or where I heard this, but someone was making the argument about police, probably some libertarian type guy. I don't know. And they were saying that it used to be that police were peacekeepers. If it meant that they had to kind of turn a blind eye just to keep the peace, they would sometimes do that. But now in this age where we have so much, uh, so many resources to devote to them and so many laws to enforce, they are strictly law enforcement. You know, they don't keep peace. They just enforce laws. I'm just following orders, you know, and so that has kind of led to a change in the perception of the role of police. And so that has led to a change in in how they operate. Wouldn't you say, though, that police are the enforcement arm of the executive branch in a way? How else is the executive going to either the governor, the mayor, the president? How else are they going to enforce their laws? Well, this is true, and they do need to enforce their laws. That's part of it. I mean, that's always going to be part of it. However, that needs to be a smaller part than it is now. That is their total goal now, is law enforcement, whereas it used to be part law enforcement, part peacekeeper. And I think that was an important distinction because that kind of reflected the idea in America that we had and, and we've lost, that people are generally free and they should be mostly left alone. Now... We have the opposite view, that they need to obey, period, and that all laws are justified. And if you question them, well, then you're a XYZ, conspiracy theorist, racist, etc. I can see why you'd say that. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. But I do think it's almost because they have more resources at their disposal now. It's like it would have been really hard to, I don't know. I just feel like it's easier to enforce laws now than it used to be. It is, especially in the day, in the era of the surveillance state and even small towns have uh, those bearcats, you know, and uh, darn near tanks at their disposal. You know, they've got SWAT teams. They've got assault weapons, you know, whatever. They've got assault teams. They have the capacity to almost be a paramilitary force. And just look at just look at the average uh, beat cop these days and how much tactical gear they have. They almost look like a soldier. You yeah, know, there's exactly. a reason for that. Yeah, and, and then people conservatives wonder why people don't like being around police. Yeah. Like, wouldn't you be uncomfortable if a soldier was walking by you fully armed on patrol? Exactly. And there's a there's a million laws on the books, and you could be possibly breaking one of them right now. And they can arrest you. Like, they have a right to arrest you and hold you for 24 hours. Like, th- only after 24 hours, they have to have a reason. Mm-hmm. They can just say, you know, we're going to hold you for the next day. And as a quick side note, which does relate to mobs because there was a mob chasing this young man, as a quick mention of the Kyle Rittenhouse issue, even in some cases, you could be generally justified in doing what you did. And, and to any rational person, they would say, oh, that's self-defense or whatever. And you can still be charged and you can still be held for whatever reason. So even in a case where you may think it's clear cut, I'm not breaking the law, officer. You got a soldier right there who may see it differently. And then you have a, a whole government behind them who may see it differently. So, yeah, it's no wonder that people are a little bit anti-police these days it's because they have generally become such a large force that has in many cases infringed on the people's rights and people don't like that i just thought of this um like if you think about the old style cops on town cops i'm not talking about uh fbi or something it's almost it's almost gone from a masculine perspective on law and order to a feminine one if you think explain i like this explain yeah it just came to me um a masculine one being 
like okay just like don't don't hurt people and you have freedom to do what you want you can be an idiot if you want to be as long as other people aren't affected and i'm not annoyed like the dad look like oh as long as you don't annoy me whereas a mom it's they're they're usually nitpicky yeah. punishing you for everything and feelings are a big consideration like oh you hurt her feelings apologize right now and yes. it does i don't care who started the argument what kind of justice is that like i if you got punched and then you punch back and then all of a sudden you're not in the right yeah it's like you're right yeah exactly it's like any anything that's a uh, different from the norm is suddenly bad regardless of who started it or whatever yeah it's like helicopter parenting on steroids yeah you're right you're right and i don't like it maybe another amendment is to blame what amendment would that be what could you possibly be talking about is it a it's all obviously is it a prohib- prohibition obviously it wouldn't happen to be the amendment before the 20th and after the 18th would it you know i'm not good with my numbers so we'll we'll just move on go ahead and tell me about your favorite mob all right all right i'll i'll do it so here's my favorite mob and it's the mob that helped spartacus escape from a gladiatorial school controlled by the Roman legions in 73 BC. As the story goes, a small band of gladiators plotted an escape. After overthrowing the guards and seizing whatever weapons they could get their hands on, kitchen utensils, makeshift armaments, they were joined by other rebels who took the opportunity to better their situation. They defeated the school's security forces, robbed wagons full of gladiatorial armor and real weapons, and they escaped. Over the course of the next three years, Spartacus and his army would grow to become more than just a ragtag mob of slaves. They became a force to be reckoned with, about 70,000 strong. In the end, it took the wealthiest man in Rome and eight legions to defeat Spartacus and his men. Their fight against Rome's armies became known as the Third Servile War. Now what about you? What's your favorite mob? Well, the one that comes to mind happened in 532. Don't be alarmed. I know this is the in the time period of a thousand years where no West, no American knows anything that happened in Europe. Yeah, it was the Dark Ages. Literally nothing happened. Humanity just went into hibernation. Yeah, hibernation just barely surviving year after year, even though the Hagia Sophia was being built. Anyways, in 532, in the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire, Constantinople, there were the Nikau Riots. There were highly competitive horse races in the city in the Hippodrome, with the Greens and Blues having a fierce rivalry. Emperor Justinian I arrested men who had caused a riot earlier, because these events, like now, like modern sports events, uh, generally cause some mayhem and violence between opposing fans. He'd, he'd arrested these rioters because there was they were causing the mob. They were inciting the mob, and one of them was a Green and one of them was a Blue racer in those bunch. Now, they were set to be executed, but the execution was botched. The gallows literally broke. And Poor these, craftsmanship. Yeah, yeah, really. And then they ran away and hid in a church. The mob was already angry that their beloved stars were set to be executed, so they took this failure as a sign from God that these guys were innocent and they shouldn't be executed. After inaction from Justinian and attempted distraction of the mob with more races... Yeah, like that's going to work. <laughs> the two factions banded together and broke the captives out of prison, setting the prison ablaze in the process. Now, before this happened at one of the races, they had coordinated it, and then they all started chanting anti-emperor slogans, and they started getting violent. Let's go, Justinian. <laughs> <laughs> now, they burned down a large part of the city and refused to be mollified by Justinian, even after he gave in to their demands. Imagine that. Wow. They said, remove a few of these magistrates that were really hated and corrupt. And he did. And they're like, actually. Yeah. At actually, that point, we don't even want an emperor anymore. We just won't. Yeah. The cat was out of the bag. The mob was ready for blood and they, and they got it. 
Because there were no real police forces, they basically controlled the city and Justinian barricaded himself in his palace. After his boss babe wife, Theodora, convinced him to make a forceful stand and not plea, as she said, the purple looks best it looks better in a casket than in another city or something like that. Oh, that's I like that quote. That's nice. He utilized his general Belisarius and his soldiers to violently end the riot. At least 30,000 citizens were slaughtered in the Hippodrome, where they had been trapped by the soldiers. It was just a slaughter. Oh, geez. And that was 5% of the whole city's inhabitants. 5% of the whole city was one out massacred. Of, one out of every 20 people was killed. Oh, my gosh. Peace returned to the Eastern Roman Empire, though. Side note, the mob burned down the Hagia Sophia Church, which pre-existed Justinian's rule. However, after the mob was quelled, Justinian set about completely redesigning the Hagia Sophia to what we know it as today, minus the minarets. So good always comes out of tragedy. The end of the Roman Republic had an increase in civil strife and mob violence, which is probably why we both chose um, some moments from uh, Roman history, although Evans was about 600 years after mine. This is a dire historical warning for our nation, which has been going in the democratic direction for a while. It's anticyclosis, fam. Thought we told you. They don't listen to us. No, they don't. The only reason this country's messed up is because we don't have more subscribers. So click that like button, subscribe, make the world a better place. Thank you. Let's move on to some American examples. Before I start, let me be clear. The majority of herd violence in American history has been racially motivated. If you look at the list of incidents of civil unrest in the United States on Wikipedia, a striking number of them are race riots or ethnic riots, usually against minorities. But since the civil rights era, most racial violence has been done by black people, unfortunately. Hello, base department? <laughs> the most obvious example is lynching. This was commonly used Amer against American blacks. The anonymity of Klansman hoods lends credit to the emergent norm theory. Usually some allegation was made, which led to angry whites getting together and exacting vigilante vengeance. Lynching was a common headline in Southern America until the 1960s. There have been a few cases of prominent mob violence against imprisoned Americans. The most famous one in American history comes to mind is Joseph Smith, also known as the heretical bigamist who founded the Mormon sect, who was arrested for corruption and treason. A group of anti-Mormons in his town, who lived under his theocratic rule, couldn't contain themselves and broke into the prison and killed him and his brother. Though uncommon, sometimes mobs hate someone so much that they break into prison to kill them. The ironic thing is he probably would have been executed because he was being tried for treason. Yeah. And they had good evidence. Yeah, if they just waited, he would have gotten what he deserved. I mean, he was ignoring, like, federal warrants for his arrest. And he was, like, sending him away, sending away federal agents with his militiamen and stuff. So, as Daniel mentioned with Spartacus... Uh, there have been a s slave rebellions throughout history, but not many in American history, actually. The most famous of which are probably Nat Turner and John Brown. John Brown came to absolutely nothing, besides a few of them getting killed. But the fear of widespread slave rebellion kept white slave owners awake at night and further worsened their treatment of slaves. It really increased the paranoia. It was like every, it was the nightmare of every slave-owning white person. And Daniel said, but I'll reiterate, the Romans experienced three separate slave rebellions in just the Republican era. After that, there weren't any for some reason. Hmm, I wonder why. Probably because they, they cracked down on them so much. I don't know. Or maybe they were just so uh, widespread that it was hard for them to unite. Or maybe it was that the empire was just so benevolent. Nah. 
Now let's talk about anti-tax riots. Uh, the Whiskey Rebellion is a big one, where the new federal government under Washington imposed a tax on distilled spirits to pay off war debt, and some in Pennsylvania violently opposed it. Whiskey was a valuable uh, product and a means of exchange. Opposition to taxation was a foundational idea behind the revolution, and it didn't work anymore. When the soldiers rolled into town, the revolt dissolved. In addition, many events leading up to the Revolutionary War can be described as tax revolts. Shays' Rebellion, which occurred under the Articles of Confederation era, was a revolt against debt and taxes. Labor strikes and uh, related mayhem is another one. First major labor strike in America was the Great Railroad Strike of 1877. I say that labor strikes are only mobs when they resort to violence or continually uh, increase their demands beyond higher wages and unionization rights, for example. I wouldn't go into all the labor disputes that happened in the late 19th century and uh, early 20th centuries, but let's just say that they usually started out peacefully and the owner's use of violence and strike-breaking tactics often turned it into mayhem. And here's a fun fact. At one point, the private security forces, the Pinkertons, outnumbered the total number of U.S. soldiers. That's impressive. The market, uh, finds a way, as the libertarians would say. Also, just the American government wasn't at war much in that time period. Yeah, you're right. That so they helped. didn't have a reason to have a big army? <laughs> yeah. So then there's race riots, and there have been a lot of those, uh, most of which uh, were by the KKK and other white supremacists during the pre-Civil War era, the Civil War, and uh, up until civil rights. Uh, there was the Red Summer of 1919 when whites attacked blacks all over the country. Hundreds died, but uh, blacks did fight back in some of the major cities. And in 1967, there was the Long Hot Summer, where blacks uh, in America rioted in a ton of cities. And then in 1968, MLK was assassinated, and riots broke out all over black America. There have been a few anti-war riots in American history as well. The New York City draft riots during the Civil War were initiated by immigrants against having to fight for a black emancipation. That's not what they came here for. That, that was their opinion. They didn't want to die in the war, they didn't like black people, and they didn't want job competition for the inevitability of all these slaves coming north after the war. So they were looking out for their own interests. A lot of these race riots are actually economically motivated, like the one in 1919 was because the economy took a slump, so they were angry at the black people for taking lower wages than them. Ah. There is also a lot of anti-Vietnam violence culminating in the 1968 Democratic National Convention protests, which really helps Nixon win. Now, there, there's also political mob violence. The Haymarket Riot of 1886 witnessed a bomb attack on police by anarchists. Seven policemen and four civilians died, and this event, event made America paranoid about anarchism and immigrants. A lot of them were Eastern European, a lot of them had these weird like leftist ideologies like anarchism and socialism and all that. The Days of Rage in 1969, this is funny, led by the far, far left group The Weathermen, was a hilarious attempt by some leftist losers to overthrow the system. But police took care of the few who showed up. They thought thousands of people would show up, only a few hundred did, and there were like 2,000 policemen, so they just mopped them up. Ouch. And there's a bunch of like Jewish nerds. Oh, they like were college kids who'd been radicalized. And anyways, the Stonewall Riots of 1969 uh, were riots by gay people. Peaceful riots ensued after Trump's election, of course, and Milo's invitation to speak at UC Berkeley caused a violent protest. Milo Yiannopoulos, of course. In 2017, the Unite the Right rally ended in violence. Uh, there's always something going on when it comes to the Israel and Palestine issue, so there's always going to be some kind of violence. Yes. Even sure. in America. Of course, there was January 6th, 2021. 
a day that will live in infamy. Right. Although some might say this might not qualify, I think prison riots are worth mentioning as an example of mob violence. Two of the most famous prison riots in American history are the Attica Prison Uprising and the New Mexico State Penitentiary Riot. In September of 1971, an estimated 1,000 men of the Attica Correctional Facility in New York rioted and took control of the prison. They took hostages and they made demands. When negotiations broke down, authorities successfully retook the prison by force, leaving 43 dead. In February of 1980, inmates of the penitentiary of New Mexico took control of the prison. For 36 hours, the prisoners tortured and killed fellow inmates believed to be police informants and took 12 guards hostage. 33 inmates were killed on the riot and hundreds more men, including the guards, were injured due to beatings and rapes. Last but not least, we have police brutality backlash. Rodney King, Michael Brown, Freddie Gray, George Floyd, you know the names. Police are accused of beating or killing a black person without justification and blacks riot. No comment from us. You can do your own research on the 2020 Summer of Love. Now what about modern day herd mentalities? In Europe, sports events often have violence involved. The fans, often inebriated, share an us versus them mentality when it comes to the other team. Often these are harmless like how they are in America. In war, soldiers will sometimes let all their emotions release at once and act in a reprehensible way. A perfect example is the My Lai Massacre, where American soldiers gunned down an innocent Vietnamese village and raped and pillaged and everything. They all followed orders, and most did not have any psychopathic tendencies. Listen to the Jocko podcast episode on this event. It's very dark, but it will it'll be beneficial for you to listen to it. Marxists see the whole world as herds of like-minded people with similar interests. The workers can and should band together and violently overthrow the system that oppresses them. A feature of all totalitarian regimes is the intolerance of opposing opinions. Mobs are the same way. You are either with the mob or you are against the mob, and you better hope the mob doesn't judge you to be an enemy. This is where the idea of cancel culture really comes from. As liberalism, and specifically cultural Marxism, has grown in academia, popular entertainment, and on the internet, there has been a growing push to silence opposition. Rather than debate ideas or simply allow other ideas to exist and ignore them if you don't like them, certain factions in America have felt compelled to use their online influence and their numbers to shout dissenting opinions down or get them outright banned from the new public square. This kind of behavior has become more visible and has been made possible by the internet. The internet is the mob's best friend for a few reasons. It offers enormous reach, it offers anonymity. It distances people from real-world repercussions. It's much harder to call someone names and wish ill on their family when you have to do it to their face. And it creates echo chambers where like-minded people can gather virtually, interact, and quickly target their energy at one goal when necessary. In essence, the internet offers the average armchair extremist everything they need. A risk-free platform on which to waste their meaningless lives venting their impotent rage at people who would otherwise beat them up in real life all while assuring themselves that they are doing something productive. Now, personally, I believe the internet benefits the left-wing mobs more than the right. It's just better suited to fat, gay, jobless college dropouts with more mental disorders than genders, am I right? But to be fair, we can ask ourselves, are Trump supporters guilty of mob mentality since the election? Are they believing delusional things because their identity group believes it? Let's discuss that. Evan, what do you think? Well, I wrote that part, so yeah, I, I do. So you would say that they are kind of morphing into what the left is. Probably more irrational. More yeah. irrational. More irrational and less violent. 
Interesting. So what would you say is uh, more irrational about them? Well, there's the whole election, the whole conspiracy theory with no evidence that it was rigged in multiple states. Just all all the states it happens to be where Biden won. Well, none yeah, none of the ones where Trump won was was there any election disintegrity. They might say, just to be fair to them, that uh, the reason for that was why would they meddle in a state they knew they couldn't win? They'd have to meddle in one they knew it was going to be close. That's the theory. And so when you look at that, they say, oh, there's there's a lot of strange coincidences that happened, maybe too many to to just forget about. And so I think it was definitely worth investigating. Now, did the investigations turn up anything of, of consequence? They already, they already done investigated it. Yeah, they did, did. And it turned out that, okay, it probably wasn't as big as people claimed. Certainly there were people making big claims, and those big claims didn't come to fruition. However, we have to also keep in mind that a lot of the investigating is done by the very system that could have had something to do with it. In those states, it was a bunch, in lots of cases, it was Republicans who were saying the election was good. Like in Georgia, the the guy in charge of the whole thing was Republican, I'm pretty sure. And he came out and said, the election, there's no there's no signs of cheating or anything like their fraud. Yeah, no, I, I uh, I'm not saying that it was. I'm just trying to be fair to that to that argument to that side. It's believing what the what you want to believe. There is a lot of that. That's for sure. It's like, oh, how could how could Trump lose? Maybe because he isolates everybody who doesn't like him already, and he what's the word I'm looking for? Trump polarizes everybody who doesn't already like him, and even some of the people who do like him. And he's got such an abrasive personality with so much personal scandal. And you're going to ask why a group, why Americans wouldn't vote for that when he barely did win yeah, the, against the 2016 of, election against a, an extremely hateable person. You're right. You're right. I, I I agree. And I think... And he was more likable back then. Yeah, he was. When, when he was an unknown. And then he had, you know, they had four years of audio clips to listen to and four years of him saying, quote unquote, racist, xenophobic... All this stuff, yeah. They had four years to pick and choose what they wanted to hear and look look at his worst sound bites, his worst policies, and say, that's why I don't like him, and I want to vote for this other guy who's already been in government, who's been the vice president. I, I can see how a lot of people swung that way, and me personally, I do believe that it was legitimate. I believe it was probably closer than it ended up being, but I think it was legit. But I, 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 I'm glad that people wanted to investigate. Yeah, for sure. They, I'm glad they... Have a skeptical mind too, but at some point you just gotta accept reality. You're right. I think it has to do with the with the pendulum. You know, it swung so much one way, it swings so much the other, and each time it just becomes more violent. So e- each side is is adopting the policies of the other because they see that they those work. You know, they're adopting the tactics, I should say, of the other. And let me just say, like both sides are very guilty of uh, harboring conspiracy theories. Sure. I mean, QAnon is big time crazy town. If you believe like pandemic stuff too, you know, I know people that I think they've lost all their rational capability because they just subscribe to conspiracy theories and they actually don't know anything about science. I'm not, I'm not a huge advocate of the vaccine thing, but you have to have some knowledge of science. And when you start saying that, that, uh, the, the vaccine just has like a worm in it that eats you alive, which I've heard, come on, man. Yeah. Yeah. And also the microchip thing. Like, dude, they got microchips monitoring you in your phone. Duh. Like, we know that. We know they can just tap in and listen to your phone if they want to. They've already got that. You've already voluntarily bought the new microchip every year. 
every new model of, of secret listening device, government listening device, you bought it. You voluntarily did that. So uh, don't come at me with that stuff. They don't need to put an injection in you for, for that. They've already got you by the balls. Anyway, now, do political parties naturally cause herd mentalities? Is that why Washington warned us against them in his farewell speech? I think to an extent. Although I think political parties are pretty inevitable. It's kind of a utopian thing to think they wouldn't exist. You're right. It's natural. But yeah, I think it's pretty herd mentality when you got all the people watching Fox News saying, did you see what the Democrats did and all the MSNBC watchers who go who say, likewise, like the Republicans are trying to bring theocracy here. Okay. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. Political parties are going to exist. And if they are going to exist, then herd mentality is going to exist. Mob mentality is going to exist. We can ask a final question here. Um, do protests usually become violent or are they usually peaceful? Is it based on the number of protesters or some other factor? Mm. Now, in the notes here, I mentioned uh, the March for Life and the Tea Party. I wanted to bring those up because those are examples of protests that, uh, well, with the Tea Party, it only lasted for a little bit. But in that time, it was extremely peaceful. And the March for Life has happened every year since Roe v. Wade, right? Or basically? Basically. So, and it's always peaceful. So there can be very large-scale protests. And a lot of the civil rights protests were peaceful. A lot weren't, but a lot were. And so I don't think the size is necessarily the factor. There is some other factor. And I think it just has to be a spark. I think the factor is you have to have enough people in there willing to violate the law. If you got a lot of good people, they're just not going to be bad, period. They're yeah. not going to go and break the law. But if you got a couple bad seeds in there that set a precedent, set an example, yeah. I mean, yeah, you got, you've also got to think about what the people are there for. Like March for Life, these are people who travel from all over the country just to just to protest, like, taking of innocent life. Yeah, killing babies. Yeah. Yeah, they're not going to go break windows and stuff. They're not going to go kill someone, you know. Yeah, exactly. And uh, Tea Same Party. Thing with the Tea Party. Tea Party could have been violent, but it wasn't, luckily. Yeah, and I think that was good. Just and, uh, demonized for everything. But. Oh, yeah, they wanted to paint it like that, for sure. They wanted to paint these guys as fringe, radical, crazy. But at the end of the day, they didn't hurt anybody. They didn't kill anybody. Antifa's got a bigger body count than the Tea Party. So does BLM. Mm. Food for thought. So let's get a little personal here. Have we ever been swept up in a mob? I think uh, the closest I've come is high school football games. Uh, whenever crosstown rivals, you know, would uh, would fight, and uh, we'd go to those games. If they score, we'd yell at them, call them names. You know, it's what you're supposed to do at a football game, and uh, it's not something I would normally do on the street. I don't randomly shout obscenities at, at high school kids when I see them out and about, unless they're on my lawn. You know, I might shake my cane at them. But in that setting, it seems fine, you know, to yell at kids. Why not? Yeah, I guess the same is for me. Uh, I don't recall ever really being a part of a mob, but at college football games, it is fun to get swept up in the offensive chance because I went to four-year university. One one time, there was an F-bomb aimed at the opposing college. I won't say what. It was F-blank. Oh, it was like FJB. Basically, you were just yelling. But we, we like said the F. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> fun times. There have been times where I could have been part of mobs, such as fights at school where everyone surrounded and yelled at the combatants, but I abstained for various reasons. And I will add to, uh, I wouldn't call it necessarily a mob, but whenever I went to my, I went to two, two Trump rallies in 2016, they're lit, the most fun I had that whole year. I remember times. you telling me that. Yeah. I wish yeah. I'd gone. But they were very exciting. 
you was really you really got caught up in the emotions of the crowd. It wasn't like any there weren't many violent intentions except uh, there was like a protester and he's like get him out get him out you know that's how it goes. Orange man bad. Yeah, I guess that's the closest I've been. Luckily, we're you know when we grew up we were fringe libertarians, so yeah, so we didn't have big social circles anyway. We we could have. <laughs> That's true. We could have went to uh, Occupy Wall Street. That was that was about our time if we'd been leftists. If yes. you think about it. Yeah, right around like maybe my freshman year is when that happened. It was later than that. It went until like you're probably your junior senior. Really? Year. I just remember 2008, 2009. But I guess Occupy was going on for a while. Yep. Yeah, that could have been us. Glad it wasn't. <laughs> All right. So now let's cover our final thoughts on mobs. To me, mobs occupy a similar place in the social ecosystem as vigilantes, which we touched on a little bit earlier. There will always be, and must always be, people who operate outside the law in some way or another. Sometimes the system becomes too gridlocked, and it has to be bucked. Now, does that mean we need to champion vigilantes or mobs? No. We need violent mobs or vigilantes in certain specific cases. To support their existence might give them too much license, and then they'll inevitably get carried away. We need to openly condemn those extra-legal behaviors in order for them to remain in their proper role in the ecosystem, which is as small elements of chaos that can potentially shift public opinion or public policy when neither the government nor the people they represent want to. We should condemn these elements in order to keep them in check, but we should also recognize that they are an inevitable and necessary part of society. Sometimes only a mob can do what needs doing. It ain't pretty, but it's true. What say you, Evan? just came to mind that we normally do something in preparation for each episode. Why didn't we join a mob? Why didn't we join a mob? We really missed an opportunity. We should have found some mob somewhere. Yeah, just a big event going on and just start breaking shit. (laughs) Start chanting, start yelling obscenities. Yep. Maybe it would have done something. Man, when's the last time, as a quick side note here, when's the last time we actually did uh, like an activity for the podcast? What was 17? was our last one? Don't even remember. You don't even remember? No, Dorian Gray. Dorian. Uh, we didn't paint pictures of each other. Dang, we missed an opportunity there. I mean, but we did read, we have read Dorian Gray. Yeah, sure. I mean, but I guess with a book review, you kind of have to. I mean, that's that's not really like doing anything extra so what on the was podcast. It? it must have been beer. It was the last physical thing we did because uh, beer was episode 13. Then we did C.S. Lewis, Ship of Theseus. We didn't build any ships. The best presidents, we didn't run for president. And a uh, picture of Dorian Gray. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm just going to have to get arrested and put on trial before 19. All right. Let's do it. (laughs) All right. Here's another hot take. The First Amendment might have gone too far. Oh, no, no, no. I want to hear this. Okay. Let it rip. Think about how much discipline it takes for an angry protest to not escalate to actual violence. Even if everyone who protests takes an MLK approach... Protests attract people who would love to be violent towards the police. Also, what do protests accomplish? Do you really think that those in charge care if a few thousand people dislike something they did? Only those who care most show up to a protest. For every person who protests, there are a hundred who don't bother. Going back to the issue at hand, I don't think mobs are ever justified. Protests can be justified, but mobs aren't due to their lack of reason. Once people start that mindset, it is amazing to see them reverting to their instincts. On top of this, it requires a large police presence and takes them away from stopping criminals. However, one could argue that if you don't allow peaceful assembly, people will assemble in secret to overthrow the system entirely, and that's a 
civil strife, you don't want it either. Peaceful assembly might be the pressure release valve the system needs. Also, not allowing people to congregate in public would possibly be a violation of their freedom of association. And it has a bad look to it when you start arresting thousands of people just chilling. Yeah, that is a bad optics right there. Also, police can prepare for a protest so the government can be a little bit more ready to deal with this group of people instead of random violence that they don't know is coming. Obviously, the best solution is to have a happy populace. But when people want opposite and mutually exclusive things, that is impossible. That's why if someone says, why can't we just get along? You should just punch them because they're idiots. <laughs> you heard it here first. Evan supports punching people who have totally opposite views of you. He said it. Well, we just celebrated St. Nicholas Day, and he did punch a heretic in the face. So in honor of St. Nicholas. Yeah. Cheers. It's time now for our takeaways. Mobs are nothing new. They are a sign of discontent and will probably always be around, so long as humans have emotions and are governed significantly by social pressures. Without that changing anytime soon, we're going to have mobs. Racial tension has been a major issue in America from the beginning, and it will likely continue, as we've seen. Humans naturally join gangs to survive, and even when the stakes aren't life and death, they sometimes join in. It's just their nature. Now, what are our lingering questions? Which groups are most guilty of mob mentality? Will it become the norm for all political groups? I would say in recent history, the mob mentality was more prevalent on the left. But I will concede that the mob mentality is growing on the right in response. Because I think people have recognized that if we don't band together somehow in some way, nothing's going to change. Because the left has so much control over the institutions. The power balance, as the Marxists are always talking about, is uh, extremely lopsided. And it's lopsided towards the left. And so in sort of a means of self-defense, the right is copying their tactics, for better or for worse. What say you? I think it's going to become worse. Our internet is helping it get worse. You got the daily wires of the world. They're outpacing the you know, conservative outlets that are reasonable and yeah. not so identitarian. And you, you can even see this, like when you have a mob mentality approach, I think victimhood culture really kind of attaches itself as well. Yes. It's like you've hurt us. Like it's not just like some random person that you hurt. It's like you hurt me, my group. Yeah, I'm offended on behalf of them Yeah, because they're part of my group. Yeah, it does really, really. The, the gang bands together whenever you hurt one of their own. They start putting their chests out and come at you. Yeah. And you can see that same phenomenon. Like I, I mean, I'm going to keep saying it. Daily Wire, they play the victim mentality all the time. Evan's on a crusade against Daily Wire. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why. Who's the head of the Daily Wire again? Oh, yeah. It's that guy. What's his name? There are worse people than Benjamin Shapiro. But I just, when I see bad things on my side of the aisle, I like to correct it. For sure. Because and everything on the other side is bad, so I like to try to make my side better. You're right. And when your whole thing is, oh, no, this we've, we've been victimized. Oh, no, Israel. Oh, no. Um, don't even get me started about Israel. Just just the whole victimhood mentality part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, and don't the act like... And the identitarianism of it. You're right. Preach it. Preach it. Yeah, you're not the only group. I hate to break it to you. You're not the only group that's ever been persecuted. And you're not the only group that's ever had a genocide committed against them. If you want to know more, look at the Holodomor, look at the Gulags, look at the Great Leap Forward. 
Armenian Nuff genocide. Said. Armenian genocide. Exactly. There's so many. You're not special. I know you think that, and I know you think that God thinks that, but you ain't. Everybody is just as bad to each other. Boom. Oh. <laughs> Might get that part cut out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Probably should. Yeah. <laughs> but where does virtue signaling factor into this discussion? Is it a sign of mob mentality? And I think we kind of covered that there. Let like you know, you have to be offended on behalf of your, your team because now it's it's team A versus team B, and if they are criticizing your team, you got to defend your team because the other team isn't going to point out the own flaws on their side. They're going to band together. So you got to band together too. So you have to virtue signal and say, oh, look, I'm helping here. I'm helping my team by doing this just so that your team doesn't criticize you and boot you off. Because the worst thing that can happen to you is to not be on a team. And that's how people are seeing it. And so to, in order to maintain status in their group, they have to virtue signal. They have to act virtuous, if only just to stay on the team. So much political social media is virtue signaling on both sides. It's like, I'm going to post this to get points. I'm, oh, I'm woke. I'm going to say this. Oh, this actor said this. I'm going to jump on it. And we're all going to Twitter attack him and try to get him banned, try to get him canceled. Yeah, because he offended my team. But that's that's human nature. We, we come from tribes, small bands that fight other bands. And that is ingrained in us, and it cannot so easily be undone. Maybe it shouldn't. Who knows? Well said. Thank you. How do we avoid adopting a mob mentality? And frankly, should we? It's so hard to tell. Because on the one hand, you know, you want to have your principles. Everybody does. But also, everybody wants to win. And those some, sometimes those things are not the same. Sometimes they're, they run opposite of each other, you know? Sometimes you do have to compromise your values in order to win. Sometimes you have to lose in order to maintain your values. And I think everybody's struggling with that to some degree or another on both sides. But seeing as how it's only going to get worse, and we both agree on that. I think we just have to go all in. I think we have to go all in with the mob mentality. That's too bad. The alternative is being like me and just have both sides not like you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, on the... Um, FJB episode we did all the comments were basically like saying I was a loser <laughs> now did the whatever came of that uh no one responded to my replies that's okay Ooh, sometimes it's worse yeah it's okay I think that's all I've got for tonight <laughs> now hey you said that before on the podcast and I appreciate it and I like Jocko as much as you we gotta find you a good catchphrase that's just as good as that that people are gonna copy you need to be a trendsetter, my friend, and we are going to find a trend for you to set. And let me just say, I love Jocko because he he has no mob mentality in him. He's just one man. Yeah, I that's I, I really respect him because I think he doesn't give in to any mob thing at all. Really? He's very much objective in everything. From what I've seen, I would probably agree. Now, with that being said, thank you for listening. That is all for today's show. Join us again next time for even more Ancient Wisdom.